Merry Christmas, Happy yeah. New Year, Happy Closing Hanukkah. This is our final episode of 2022. I know. And to think we started this in 2018. <laughs> Absolutely wild. Yikes. <laughs> I've been more committed to this podcast than like even my time in New York. Like I've been at this longer than my college career, you know? This is a commitment. Yeah, that's crazy. That's insane. Yeah, so I've been in the we've been in this podcast more than we've been in college. Yeah. <laughs> this is starting to feel it too. I'm like I can't I was uh I was in New York last week, uh as you know. Um, oh yes, we got breakfast. And I was at dinner before alone. So I was seated at the bar and this guy started talking to me, this kid. I say kid because within like two minutes, I realized he was freshly graduated and we were talking about his dreams and aspirations to be an actor. And then it just dawned on me, like there's a real chance that I'm an entire decade older than him. Yeah. (laughs) Horrifying. There's, yeah, there's, there's live people in the world who are like 10 years younger than us. I I know. Who are functioning adults. I guess they're probably still in college. I mean, you're not 32 just finishing yet. it. Yeah, but technically, there are a lot of, you know, four I guess years, like early graduate 21. people who would have graduated when they were 21. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Wow. <laughs> I know. I you're know. slightly older than me, so probably more who are your age than my age. I, I'm still, m- mine are still probably mostly juniors in college. Yeah. Uh, my probably freshmen. Probably in high school. Yeah. Hopefully we're still like relevant and we're able to like keep Surely up. Surely we're on not the, relevant. That's, and we're and we're not young anymore. We're talking about middle age problems at this point. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, though, although good for like, you for to going to restaurants and you know just like picking up random strange men at the bar. Like that's a that's a, <laughs> that's a skill set. You know, you're pulling. And that's Thank good y'all. to know. Thank you. I watched his brain recalibrate as I as I was like, oh, I used to live in the neighborhood he lived in. And he's like, oh, when? And I was like, uh, five, six years ago. <laughs> when you were like, oh, my gosh, I remember seeing that movie in theaters. Well, they were like, when. The Godfather? <laughs> yeah. Uh, well. Uh, uh, any any, fu- any thoughts on 2022 looking back? Any? Oh, wow. Do you have any? <laughs> Thank God we survived that. Um. Yeah, no, it feels kind of weird. I feel like this. I feel whole... like we can't say that about twenty twenty two. I mean, we can. You obviously. mean like it wasn't as bad as previous? I feel like years. coming after twenty twenty yeah. and twenty twenty one, we are not allowed this year to all to yet again have the like. <laughs> well, this was the worst year ever. I feel like we have it's to been, we have to give right. that one year a break. Right. We can it's... we can hit that back up again next year. <laughs> yeah, you're right. As far as things go, um, comparatively. This wasn't that bad. I just feel like personally, like on a on personally, a it was bad. Level, it was just like, <laughs> you know what? Oh, it was a long one. It felt long this year. 
Yeah. Which yeah. I usually don't feel like. I feel like it goes by fast and I'm just like, what? No, now I'm like, how is it still did make December? It feel very long. <laughs> Every week. Uh, how about you? Did you make reach all your goals and um complete all your Well, well your it's it's a real nail biter because I am still reading War and Peace and we got oh. we have 300 and some pages left and I'm trying to finish it by the end of the year. So I Yeah. I think it's possible. I think it's I'm close. rooting for you. I think we're, I, I think we're gonna get there. That was that's yeah. my main that's my main objective. <laughs> yes, left for the year. And you don't think the year's been the worst, even though that's been your one and only goal. No, I no, I guess I have had other goals. I've just completed them all. You know? Oh, oh, yeah. <laughs> be cool, be high, yeah. be famous, <laughs> have a lot of friends. Nailed it. Check, check, and done, check. Done, done, and done. Yeah. Um. No, it's been a good year, and you know especially in the years of our podcast, I guess, all things considered, I feel like we've we've been able to do better films than we used to. Uh, we know how to pick them. I and... think that uh, some of that has to be attributed to me now being able to see okay. things early. That's... I'm going to pat myself on the back for that. Well, okay, slightly. yeah, because you're admitting you were the weak link before who was like, <laughs> well, I don't want to be bothered. <laughs> Rude. But anyways, um, pop culture roundups are yes. always a favorite. And this year, I don't, I can't even think of like high, highlights from this year because I oh, feel like it's Kim been Kardashian so and the Marilyn Monroe dress. Oh, that was. That was this year. That was this year. Um, yeah, that's it. That's all. <laughs> no, <laughs> other, um, James Corden getting kicked out of Balthazar. That happened this year. <laughs> um, what else? What what are other mm. big mm. trend setting things? Um, it was Ad, was Adam Levine's. Um, I guess Miss Flow. Miss Flow was uh, fun. Miss oh yes, all Miss Flow. Um, Adam Levine's Instagram was this year is so uninteresting to me, uh, but that happened. You're right. Well, yeah, but his the fact that he was just sending nudes on yeah. Instagram <laughs> DMs, thinking that no one was going to bother screenshotting this. Yeah, I'm pretty sure Army Hammers. Uh, was that this year or was that no, last year? No, I think year? that was last year. I mean, maybe like the end of it. This was the Johnny Depp Amber Heard year, unfortunately. <sighs> yeah, I know. <sighs> that, that was settled. Did you see? She decided not to go forward. Was this the year Alec Baldwin shot the person? I think that oh was this gosh. year. Oh my gosh. I don't, I don't know, know if it was this year. I, I don't know why my mind year. is pulling at these just horrific the things. But You're yes. like Kanye West uh, became Kanye West, anti-Semite. Elon Musk. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh, Shelby, we're missing the most, the biggest thing that happened this year. Donald Trump launched trading cards. Oh, wow. Yeah. Is that on your pop culture roundup you wanted to touch? <laughs> no, I didn't. Also, I will say this. This wasn't on my pop culture roundup, but I would like to discuss it. Is the um, Instagram trend of everybody posting the AI photos. Ugh. I feel like every like four months we get some version of this type of thing. Yeah. I would also lump the uh, personal Coachella lineups into this group as well. Of <laughs> no, like, this is worse. Of like weird things. Well, like those were fun for like the first two, but then I swear every single person had like the exact same 10 artists just in a shuffle. <laughs> and I was like, I do not need to see this if it's just going to be some combination of like Lady Gaga, Beyonce, Taylor Swift, Lizzo. Like, like if it's truly I you chaotic. you were talking about like the jokey ones that are like my depression. No. Xanax. No. Those ones that were like looked at your Spotify or whatever and then oh. generated it based on your favorite. 
maybe that was just the gays who were posting that, but yeah. I swear everyone was posting them. And I was like, we know, we know that you're listening to Charlie X yet. Like, this is not entertaining. Like, I saw a couple where the where the people were really chaotic because the person listens to, like, lots of different genres. And, you know, it's like Willie Nelson and, yeah. uh, you know, Kim Petras and the San Francisco Symphony Orchestra or whatever are all in the lineup. Like, that, okay, show me. But if it's right. just a bunch of pop stars, like, I don't care. Anyways. But the AI thing I thought was w- sort of wild because, you know, I think we've all learned that these are all owned by like Russian bots or whatever. And we're not supposed to send them our information. But two, people were like not only posting them on their stories, but we're posting them on their grid and then using them as their like Instagram profile picture. You're like, it was, I can excuse. Uh, if you put something on your story, like, okay, great, you can put whatever it's gone in 24 hours. To <laughs> to solidify that on your grid is insane to me. Well, they spent money on it. They have to. Well, make it yeah, worth then it. that's. I learned that <laughs> after the fact. I was like, you guys spent twenty dollars or however yeah. much it was to get these pictures done of you, and yeah. every and here's here's the real secret. Well, it's not a secret, but it's what everybody is. Everyone's like, wow, I look really hot in this. It's like, yeah, no doubt you look hot in this because it's a program that's like makes you look hotter. You know, your skin looks very clean. Your like muscles are bigger. Like, yes, you look hot in this AI generated photo that's supposed to make you look hot. This is not what you look like in real life. But by all means, like post it everywhere. I know. It was very weird that that became. embarrassing, I feel. Well, and it's like. Everyone's, you know, oh my gosh, the government's going to microchip me with this vaccine, and and there's like this paranoia of the of the state watching and learning, and then to freely upload like dozens of pictures of yourself for a facial recognition tool, it's just like, I think we missed that episode of Black Mirror. You know, this is how it begins <laughs> the yes. descent into madness, uh, because on top of that, there was this whole argument about AI generated art in the first place and the morality around it, because basically what you have to do is feed a machine art, which exists, but that you're basically stealing to upload in mass without permission of the artist to then copy the artist's style, which is how they were able to do these 27 different types of I don't know, anime-esque art. And so then um, people were like, AI art isn't real art. And that made um, tech forward people mad because it's like, why not? And and then they pointed out the like inability to do hands and arms and how you can always spot an AI generated art by the lack of focus on the fingers. And I don't know if you saw this, but um, Tor Books is publishing Christopher Paoloni's um, new sci-fi. He's like the guy who did Aragon and then came back. Oh, with yes. A homeschool classic. A homeschool classic. Yes. A hundred percent. Represent. Um, but he had like a successful sci-fi novel a couple of years ago. I liked it. I read it. But I think he has a new one coming out that's either in the same universe or a new franchise, a new a series. But they realized they released the cover art and everyone was like, wait, this is AI generated because it had spaghetti arms. Like it literally doesn't have (laughs) the figure on the cover has like a no arm basically. And just like floating fingers. 
And so they were called out and was like, why are you doing this? Why are you supporting like this instead of paying, like supporting an actual artist and paying an artist to render your book cover? And they had to come out with an apology that was basically like, sorry, not sorry. Um, It's too late to go back now. Like artists take too long. So we're just going to leave this here. Even though one, it's like you're being called out for something rightfully. And two, there's a there's a spaghetti arm on your cover of a major best-selling novel. So um, then the you author... Know, represent re- Representation matters for spaghetti arm people as well. Yeah. You know, not all of us have great arms, Shelby. Some of us have spaghetti yeah. arms. Well, and I we mean, yeah. We deserve to be on the book a, covers just as much as other people think, yo. It's uh, interesting, you know, ironic, I guess, uh, to have a sci-fi book that so indulges in these uh, sci-fi-esque elements of our modern artistic uh mindset so that was an interesting story to me uh the author tried to get into it on twitter and be like oh well you can't stop production and stuff and it's like well this comes out next year like i don't i don't think it's that close to printing you know but yeah i mean they do print books early but yes uh interesting um while we're on the topic of tech Elon Musk owns Twitter. We've talked about this. Um, It's been a continuing hellfire over there of horrible Mm -hmm. decisions. But yesterday he put up a poll that was said, hey, if uh, more if more people vote yes than no on this, I will step down as CEO of Twitter. And by like an overwhelming majority, people said, yes, leave Twitter. We have yet to hear anything from him at this point about that. But People have spoken. (laughs) Well, it came after there was suddenly this update in the Twitter rules, which is basically like um, you can no longer use Twitter to promote other social media sites. So if you mention, tag, or use links to other social media sites, i.e. Pinterest, Instagram, Mastodon, whatever it is, they're like, you'll be immediately (laughs) banned, which is just the stupidest thing. And it just proves like how reactive and kind of like short-sighted he is and his team because it's like what why are you thinking the best way to protect your brand is to keep people from engaging with it however they choose to engage with it right because it's like okay if people like Twitter and Instagram are doing different things. So if you can't link out on your Twitter to Instagram people are just going to be like okay well then that's less content that I'm going to be putting on Twitter yeah. So there's, yeah, it, yeah, it really makes no sense. But He's but again, dumb. Elon Musk doesn't know anything about tech and doesn't know anything about social media, which is why he keeps making these horrific decisions. I know. I hate it. I Yeah. And then after that poll went so badly for him, he like tweeted like, be careful what you wish for. It just might get it. Yeah. <laughs> it's like... but, but like what? That you're not going to yeah. be on – the the head of Twitter because like, we've I'm gonna had make that before. In charge. Like what? Yeah, like like what are the worst <laughs> options? This? Yeah. Oh, what a dork. Um, I also uh, speaking of middle aged men, um, this whole DC oh, shakeup is so too. fascinating to me. It, you know the the sad thing last week was it was announced that Wonder Woman three wouldn't be moving forward. That James Gunn, who's sort of heading the new revamp of the DCEU decided he didn't like Patty Jenkins um, like script or story and they wanted to go in a different direction and they're basically like axing all the major DC 
actors that they've established in these franchises. And, you know, I could go in about how frustrating it is that women directors have one semi badly reviewed film and it's suddenly like pulling teeth to get them another project. But what was also interesting is how it's kind of been spiraling out since then because now it's revealed that after featuring in the um, Black Adam post credit scene to, you know, huge reaction, um, Henry Cavill coming back as Superman, he announces he's leaving Witcher. He announces he's excited to do these new projects. It's supposed to be this big next chapter for the DCEU. And then it was announced this week that he would not be brought back at all, after all. <laughs> mm. Which is just sad because he said in his statement about it, like, yeah, I have to, like, sorry, guys, this is true. I had a meeting with James Gunn. Like, it's not happening. And he said, like, you know, uh, I respect that they are, I wish everyone involved in the universe the best of luck. And he's like, um, what's interesting is that he had a verbal agreement, but no signed agreement. And I cannot believe his agent let him do that. The, like, yeah, I don't understand that either, but I mean, it could have been one of those things where it's like, okay, yes, we're getting like the paperwork ready and like, I don't know how, all of that works. <laughs> I'm sure that those deals are complicated and take a long time of and a course. lot of negotiating. But yeah, I mean, I I was reading about this today because also like The Rock just had the movie Black Adam come out and that was supposed to be integral to the DC moving forward. I think that is not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, Jason Momoa is Aquaman. There's a new Aquaman movie coming out, but I think that that's the last one of that franchise. So I, I think when DC, DC has had a rough go of it this entire time. Like they yeah. have made some money and had some sort of like hits, but they've never been able to accumulate anything that's more than one movie long of a success chain or that ties into each other in any sort of meaningful way. They've recast roles. Um, they've had weird spinoffs. Like nothing has worked at all. They got James Gunn to come over and do the Suicide Squad, uh, the third one in that the franchise, Suicide the Suicide Squad. Yeah. And I think like that story worked really well though. It, was reviewed well. It came out during COVID, so it's sort of hard to tell like exactly how well it did as far as um, you know, zeitgeist kind of things. But then after James Gunn made Guardians of the Galaxy 3, which will be coming out next year, they DC sort of like stole him back, basically giving him the Kevin Feige role mm -hmm. of DC. And I honestly do think that the smartest move for him is kind of what he's doing of just like scrapping everything and starting fresh yeah. because like yeah wonder woman like the first wonder woman film did well and the second one was okay but it's like she was also in sort of the justice league movies and then it's like okay well do you keep wonder woman the like the old wonder woman but you get a new batman but you get an old this and then it's like the flash is Ezra Miller and they have that movie sitting around but obviously they're not going to recast Ezra Miller. so I'm sort of like yeah just get rid of everybody scrap everything call it all new also there were rumors i don't know how substantial this is that they were going to make another attempt to bring back chris pine for the third 
Wonder Woman movie, even though he <laughs> is dead. And it's sort of like, okay, I like, I mean, Chris Pine is great, but we like, we don't need a third iteration of him in some sort of weird, like, well, now he's a reanimated corpse or, you know, whatever he's going no, to be. No, they took his memories and they sent them to another planet so that they could regenerate a new uh, Navi style alien. <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. I don't need that version of Chris Pine. I don't need Navi Chris Pine. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm fine with this. I'm sort of like, you know, for better, for worse, these people, they had a good run, like, for Great worse, for them. mainly. For, for worse, mainly. Uh, Patty Jenkins, I would be more excited to see doing something that's not Wonder Woman yeah. 3 anyways. Um, I'm sure that she'll get another gig of some variety where she'll get to make something cool. And yeah, I'm excited. I, I don't love Guardians of the Galaxy necessarily, but I did like the Suicide Squad. And I will be excited to see what DC sort of is able to come up with in a new iteration. Um, especially, I think, with Marvel becoming a little chaotic and how many properties they have, <laughs> it might be sort of nice to have an alternative where there's only like a couple movies and a couple characters. Um, so I don't know. I'm intrigued. Yeah. Uh, are you intrigued by the Barbie movie? I'm very intrigued by I the know. Barbie movie. And I... So the Barbie movie trailer came out. And I honestly think that this is the smartest move in a marketing campaign that I have seen in recent memory. Because... Oh, why? why? Yeah. <laughs> well, so the Barbie trailer comes out. I don't know if the footage in the trailer is actually going to oh, be right. in the movie yeah. at all or if it's just a completely separate thing from the trailer. But, you know, obviously the the thought of a Barbie movie or sort of like the insinuation is, okay, it's going to be girly. It's going to be mostly for girls. It's not going to be taken seriously. Like sure. Greta Gerwig is a great actress, but like the Barbie movie lame, even though it has arguably two like very successful writers slash directors behind yeah. it in Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach who are taken seriously in general, that this movie is going to be stupid. And <laughs> feminine leaning i think especially in the like film bro community right. so so they release a trailer that is a shot for shot remake <laughs> of a sequence from 2001 a space odyssey which is one of the most film bro -y movies ever and it's very like tongue-in-cheek but well done and very smart and i think if you're a film bro you can't look at that trailer and be like this is stupid like it's so spot on that yeah. it's sort of like looks at the film bros dead in the eye and goes, you think this is going to be bad, but like now you have to watch it <laughs> and you can't dismiss us and say like, we don't know what we're doing because we're making a very clever reference here. And I think that that's a, that's a different direction than I anticipated that they would be yeah. going with this marketing. And it makes me really excited for the movie because I think if the trailer's that smart, hopefully the movie's that smart. I really like both of the filmmakers involved. So I am I'm very it looks excited. Great. Yeah. Yeah. Every I think it looks incredible. Splashy moment in the pink wonderland. Yes. With Brian Gosling and the crazy costumes and dance sequences by the look of things. Like I'm on board. Yeah. Ready to go. And I love Greta Gerwig. So yeah. and I love Noah Baumbach. Nobody else liked White Noise this year, but I love White <laughs> Noise. So Yeah, no, I think it'll be fun. Um, and it was a good teaser because too often it's like 
giving the whole movie away. <laughs> um, so we'll see how it continues. Should we also talk about the Golden Globe nominees? Oh, yeah, sure. Which were announced. The Golden Globes are back. I, they took a year off. Well, they didn't really <laughs> take a year off. They gave... They didn't have a ceremony, and they gave virtual awards, which sort of nobody paid attention to last year. This year, they're back on NBC, but they only have a one-year deal. And also, I think it's airing on a Tuesday or sometime midweek. Gerard Carmichael is the host, which I'm excited about because I love him. And his special Roth Daniel was really good this year. But yeah, the nominees came out. Um, Did you have any general thoughts on them? Did you... Um, Look I guess the all, one really? I noticed was obviously everything everywhere got a lot of love, except the daughter didn't get a supporting actress nomination. Yeah, but she did get a nomination at the Critics' Choice Awards, yeah. so that's um, interesting. Yeah, I think I think that for the Golden Globes, the nominations were pretty like like there wasn't anything too crazy in the mix. Yeah. it all seemed pretty standard. Um, you know, they nominated lots of, I think, good things. Something I was not necessarily surprised by, but I feel like looking at these lists, because both this and the Critics' Choice Awards came out with their nomination list, is just like how blockbustery this year's nominees are. I feel like all of the sort of small movies haven't worked for the most part this fall. And so you have like Avatar, Elvis, Top Gun, <laughs> Everything Everywhere All at Once. Glass Onion, which are all like big movies. And I feel like you usually don't have that many in the mix. And even like Babylon, which isn't out yet, is a very big movie. Um, Let me guess. It's about Hollywood. It is about Hollywood. (laughs) But like, but yeah, I feel like you don't really have any like tiny sort of indie things in here. Because even like Tar and Banshees of Inishirin are like, I don't know, have a little more scope to it. They're I indie, think, but they're I think not. Those two are, but they're not like. Uh, I don't. If, but, if you're saying like, oh, I'm surprised there's no she said, then I think Banshees of Irishin is a much smaller film. Oh no, I no, I definitely think that. Yeah, no, yeah, there. That's on the same level. I guess I was thinking like you know those like really tiny, uh, like weird sort of. I don't know. I I don't even know. What like I'm Triangle of Sadness. Yeah, Should that well, have gotten there. Not like I was thinking about um, like a moonlight kind of a thing where, Mm. um, you know, sort of like quieter movies, I guess, maybe is what I'm thinking. Because Banshees of Inisherin and Tar are both sort of like bombastic and have like (laughs) big uh, like moments in them, even if they're not they're not understated at all. Yeah, yeah. I see that. It's not Nomadland again. (laughs) Right. Yes. Yeah. That kind of thing. Or Minari. We're moving forward as a society. Oh, well. Um, should we go into love it or hate it, or uh, sure. even talk about a soft film, quite understated film, maybe? Is oh no, mean? I'm going to talk about a uh, big film about <laughs> film. I'm going to talk about Babylon. Oh, okay, yeah. Lay it on me. Well, because Babylon doesn't come out; it's not out yet. But no, I want to hear how you feel about Brad Pitt. Yes, I do. it will. It will be. <laughs> Shut up. Um, I got can Did we already talk about that on on the episode? I think on the podcast? so. Yeah, How I got canceled for yeah. liking Brad Pitt. No, um, Babylon. It comes out over Christmas. I would not suggest you see it with your family. <laughs> um, but if you want to go see it with friends, I think it's a fun 
peck. It's three hours long, bro. It is three hours long. And there's a lot of, I feel like, I feel like somehow or another, every movie this year is so long. Yes, the Fablemans is long. Tar is long. The Black Panther movie is long. Elvis is long. Yeah. Avatar. They're too long. Like, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to understand it. But Babylon is, has a lot going on if it's long. <laughs> it's not boring, I would say, at any point. Um, yeah. It's sort of, and honestly, don't laugh when I say this, but... Okay. Damien Chazelle, who directed it, said there was a four-hour version. Oh like, that's gosh. what the original was. And I will say that I could have used the four-hour version, I think, in some ways. So it's about these... It's about these people in Hollywood during the era where it's transitioning from silent film to talkies, which we've seen before in movies. They've done this. Um, and it's, But it's much more, like, debaucherous than Singing in the Rain is. <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, it's lots of, like, sex and parties and drugs and craziness. And the score is this, like, loud trumpet thing that just keeps going. And the movie is just, like, helter-skelter, pedal to the metal the entire time. Brad Pitt plays this sort of, you know, older playboy actor who is struggling to transition from silent film. Um, Margot Robbie plays a, a like young upstart who's sort of like using this transition to her advantage. And then there's another actor who's an unknown who it plays a film or a young guy who's like starts as Brad Pitt's assistant, but sort of becomes a film producer and big studio head and sort of the three of them as they're moving through this. But there's also several supporting characters that you get the sense in the script had more to do and got their plots cut for time a bit. Like Gene ha um Gene Smart is a like journalist who pops up now and again. And you kind of think, I think she maybe had more of a plot line and then got relegated to a side character. Also the <laughs> trumpet player. Um his plot line is like a little bit scant at places. But the movie itself is like very expensive, very rich looking, and also has some really, really fun sequences. The The opening sequence is this big party, but there's also a really fun set piece where they're trying to uh, like record the, or they're trying to make the, uh, uh, the, the, they're trying to film the first scene of this like talkie. And it's all of these people who are used to working in silent film and people keep making noises or the mic doesn't pick something up or they didn't. And it's just like this scene of these people on the set, like getting exasperated as they have to go through it over and over and over and over again. And it's so funny and well done and timed out. So there's lots of really cool stuff. And I, it's an interesting movie, I think for people who like movies to watch just because it's so much like behind the scenes sort of interest the characters are based on real people, but the whole story is fictional. So it also isn't like a mank situation in which you have everybody kind of like playing these characters or which you're supposed to like know who people are. Um, it's all original in that way. And I don't know. I really liked it. I thought it was a lot of fun, very like high energy and especially, um, you know, given this time of year and some of the more like somber, quiet films that are out, like if you think about like women talking or the whale or something like that, that this is like big high energy and has a lot going on, but also isn't an avatar or something you know, that's <laughs> like just action packed. Um, you know, I heard you, you know, you liked this. I saw on Twitter and obviously we've talked about it and I was like, okay, I have no idea what it is. I finally saw a review today and watched the trailer and I was like, wow, 
I don't think I'd like this movie. <laughs> I don't. Uh, it's hard to say because there's definitely like pieces of it that I feel like you wouldn't like. But then I like the Brad Pitt plot line. I feel like you would not be, you know, I have a, I have struggles really? with movies about Hollywood because Hollywood loves to talk about itself. And I also hate long movies that are long because they're indulgent. And I also, you know, Damien Chazelle, uh, one for two so far. So, well, he's made four movies. Oh, wait, what are his four? Well, yeah, he made a musical before Whiplash, and then he made oh, La La Land, okay. and then he made First Man, the astronaut. Oh, movie. okay. So he's one for three in my book. I think so. that this, I will say this though, that of the movies, I think this is most similar to Whiplash. Yes. Because it, it's, I mean, it has musical elements in it, but it's definitely not like as like prissy sort of right. as La La Land is. And it's not quiet at all. I like, know. I've heard it's very, man. very, very, very physical and disgusting. Yeah. yeah there's and... some like gross out kind of things. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I don't. We'll I don't necessarily I think that you would it. love it, love it. But I think it's. I think it's more interesting than other things that you hate. At least. Okay. Yeah. There's we'll more. See. There's a lot going on. I mean, I on. hate Brad Pitt. Like, there's a lot not going for it. Is what I'm saying. But will I see it? I don't know. You gave it on to me on a, my but, homework list. So, but I unlike, guess I have to find it. Unlike something like Licorice Pizza, which I'm Ugh. sort of like, oh, I think she would hate like the whole thing of this. Yeah. There's enough different pieces and enough cool things going on in Babylon that okay. I think that there would be sections of it that you would enjoy. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, speaking of sections, uh, I became obsessed with the Meghan and Harry documentary on Netflix this last week. Oh, I haven't watched this at all. I heard it Ugh. was boring and not good. Who told you that? Who? Twitter. Who told you that? I was obsessed, okay? Obsessed. I am not like a royalist Yeah, because you didn't even watch all. The Crown. No, absolutely not. So boring. I don't care about the monarchy, which is probably why I like Meghan Markle and her Megxit and all of it. I love watching them squirm while Harry releases his memoir titled Spare and and draws attention to what they did to Diana. I love it all. That book's not out yet, is it? No, no, no. Oh. I'm just saying that's why I'm always drawn to whatever they do because it's just like – it's like – there's enough distance that I don't have any personal feelings in the matter. I mean, obviously, I have my opinions. Well, but yeah, it's, it's like an not eat like, the rich sort of a vibe. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're still all very privileged and pretty and, you know, uh, not relatable. Um, but, no, it's so intriguing to me. And, obviously, what's haunted Megan is this idea that she's a social climber, that she broke up this family, that she's evil and, you know, the UK press – absolutely hates her, livid with her. And the whole like Megxit thing always frames her as this like problem that broke apart the family, that she's pushy, she's bossy, she's mean, she bullies, like all of this sort of angry black woman trope. And as their relationship with the royal family fell apart, we know all these like highlights, right? Like the documentary I'd say doesn't necessarily drop new bombs. It gives context and adds some layers to the things we already know. And it allows a lot more insightful commentary from Harry. Um, 
who kind of proves that no, it wasn't Megan, it was me, that he's been unhappy with the royal family since, you know, his mother's death, since he's been asked to kind of live like this. And being with Megan was like the um, kind of spark that was like, why would I put my family through this? For what? Like, why should this be what we do? And it's a lot more focused on how the relationship between the royal family and the UK press is so like toxic and destructive and kind of proving his point there. And so they kind of have like three chapters in the first half that are about their courtship, their marriage, their early days when the press still liked Megan and kind of the subtle racism they were facing. But all in all, the public was accepting of her. And then the second half that just came out um, is about like their decision to leave, uh, the drama around that, and now like what they've been doing and what Tyler Perry has to do with it. Because <laughs> are they getting money from the Royals at all now or no? No, they were completely cut off. I mean, obviously he has his family's fund, so he's he's fine. These aren't right. like poppers. They're completely comfortable. Yes. And like the second half was kind of less empathetic because they were like like they were like oh they took away this and this they took away our security and we were going to be stranded and it's like i get it like i get that's hard but it's also like this isn't yeah, the biggest plight in the world yeah and like clearly you were fine because tyler perry who you've never met like suddenly called up and was like hey take my house and you'll be <laughs> you'll be set and so it was like fun to see all the you know cutesy backs like behind the scenes sort of family photos and archival footage and all of this. Like, I think it's a well done documentary and it just intrigued me so much that I was just like, you know, just like, ah, I loved it. I couldn't get enough of it. Um, and Megan is so like cringy. Like she's so cheesy. She calls herself corny and we love a self-aware queen because she is really? just like, so <laughs> cringe-tastic like from her obsession with calling harry h like she's in a freaking 2009 mommy blogger stint um to how she referred to the princess diaries as that one old movie starring <laughs> the way and like her con she just has this earnestness that i think is sort of similar to some of the ha hate Anne hathaway got ironically enough um, and so the documentary like shows them and obviously it's produced by them. They have a say in it, like blah, 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 bias, bias, yeah. bias. But I felt like all in all, it did a good job of kinding, kind of adding the humanity to the frustrations people had with them doing like the Oprah interview and them feeling like, oh, you just want to like bite the hand that feeds you. Like you guys are just brats, you know? So I found it really fascinating and really humanizing and I I do like Megan. I think she's real. I don't think this is conniving. I don't think she has some master plot to destroy the monarchy, but I'd be on board if she did. <laughs> I feel like like I mean I I'm not like a pro royals person. I don't necessarily find them at all that interesting or compelling. I love the crown and sort of like the more like historical element of it or like the in the intrigue that's like in the past and sort of like being a, like re-examined now I guess mm -hmm. um this the sort of like the uh, I don't know I feel like in it it's so biased 
like in the moment of yeah you have Megan and Harry's side which is obviously coming from like one point of view you have the other people's side which is coming from the other point of view I I think that Megan and Harry are right about a lot of things um but the end you know like why are the royals getting all of this money um like why like why when you're born into that do you have to do it like if you don't want to why can't you leave sort of an energy like i don't know i i i i empathize with him and them but yeah a documentary produced by them that's about their plight i feel like those kind of documentaries are always a little bit like okay this is no, probably slightly more rosy. And- yeah but I, I mean, think... it's like it's like when I watch the Selena Gomez documentary <laughs> or when I watch the Taylor Swift documentary. It's like, okay, this this might be truthful, but it's also made from it's this is not like a third this is not an outside party who they were like, Yeah, come follow us around for a year. You can use the footage for whatever you want. Like this Yeah, totally. If 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 Harry, you know, screams at somebody. They're not including that. So it does always feel a little bit like, I don't know how much I can trust these kind of things when I'm watching them, even if they are really interesting. Well, that's what I liked is because it wasn't just like, oh, look at us. Aren't we sad and beautiful? It was like there was work done to highlight the issues um, that have plagued the monarchy. Like it went into like the – racism elements the history of the monarchy the the reason they might be a little bit hesitant to like i felt like it added historical context and connected dots for people who at surface level are like why should i care about these rich people and they're like well it's not necessarily just about us it's like listen to what we're trying to say about this larger issue so do they want to get rid of the monarchy like what's their point no and that's the other thing is like it's like i wish they'd kind of sat down and been like huh you know, if they had been nice to us, we still would have been in this. So it's like. Right, exactly. But I think it's just like they they add interesting, yeah, kind of dot connecting moments that make it more than just a, you know, celebrity profile. Um, so that also added to the intrigue for me. And not to say that you know, what Meghan Markle has gone through has not been horrific and that she hasn't been mistreated because I'm sure she has. But also, I am sort of like, if you, I don't know, like, when, if 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 some royal wanted to date me, I'd be like, no, that sounds like it's going to be horrible. And yes, like, you love who you love or whatever, so. Well, but it's like, like in Crazy I'm Rich like, Asians, he didn't prepare her for the reality of it. He admitted right, that he how did a bad much, job of it. Like, but how much preparation? Like, like I, I'm like, are you stupid to her? Of like, <laughs> of like it. Like, he doesn't need to prep her. Like, just being alive, you know, that being a royal is like, well, or, or being. I could talk about this for hours. Family um, is deranged. But the point is that she was accepted at first. The family was nice to her at first, but once it served them to let the press you know, annihilate her, they stepped back and let it happen. So I think that's part of it too. It wasn't like she went in and immediately regretted it. It was sort well, of this yeah, like but slow that's boil how that always like... works. I mean, that's how it works <laughs> okay. with Princess Diana too. I'm just saying. Well, I know. So that's like part of I, the interesting it, feature of like, It's oh. just hard for me to muster that much sympathy for a rich <laughs> movie star who, you know, married a rich king and then <laughs> got some bad press about it. No. Yeah, I mean, I'm like, there's other people and there's other stories I care more about. 
Yeah, like Brad Pitt. Like Brad Pitt, <laughs> exactly. Because he was at the top of his craft, and stop. then they the industry stop. changed. I'm, I'm doing you a and favor and telling you to stop. He went from the silent films, the talkies, and then he had to reevaluate. And maybe no, he lost I, his money. I loved it. I debt. honestly, if I I could, I would just do a solo podcast where I just talk about it for hours. I find them so fascinating. I got into it with my British boss and. I just, I can't get enough. I think it's so interesting to see where people fall on the spectrum of how they feel about Megan. And I think the this documentary feels somehow connected some to Taylor Swift. I don't know how, but it somehow, it has the same energy for me. <laughs> I don't think that's fair to belittle my interest to things that don't interest you. I'm not, no, um, I'm not saying your interest. I'm saying that the plight of Taylor Swift, I feel like is... <laughs> Is somehow reminiscent to me of the plight of Meghan Markle. Aside, but that's what I'm saying. Is it's not just. It's not like me being like, oh my gosh, I feel bad for Meghan. It's that the discourse around Meghan will always be fascinating to me, which I guess, yeah. But anyways, yeah, which, I mean, the, the point is, I wish we were doing a full episode about that, but instead well, we're, we're doing not, one about Avatar. <laughs> Yes, which I feel like more people are definitely going to be seeing Avatar the World Over than the Meghan Markle documentary. I don't know. Netflix says it was like their biggest premiere for a documentary series. Netflix is always (laughs) spouting out it's the biggest something. And and we never know. Yeah. They, like Meghan Markle and her documentary team, only give us the information that they want to give us. So it's hard to say. They could be lying for all we know. Well, I did recently find out, though, that there's a website that you can go to that gives you all of the box office information on Broadway shows. Oh, wow. Cute. A week, weekly, which I was like, this is fascinating to see how much money these things are making. Um, but anyways. Okay. Yes. We're talking about Avatar The Way of Water, another over three hour mo- long movie um, on Thursday on our last episode before the Christmas break. Um this movie's been what twelve years in the making, ten years in the making, something 10 like that. Years, yeah. And yeah, we're here to break it down. The <laughs> one thing longer running than our podcast is yeah. the <laughs> Avatar franchise. And we'll see you guys then. Bye. <laughs>